chapter 3. Romans 3, starting at verse 20, and that's found on page 1,118. Romans 3, verse 20. Romans 3, starting at verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And that's going to be our focus. These verses here from Romans uh, chapter 3. But before we begin Our sermon together, let's read from Lord's Day 23. As those who have made a profession of faith here might remember, Lord's Day 23 is one of the, probably the top, probably the top three uh, most important uh, Lord's Days in our catechism, along with the definition of faith. Obviously, Lord's Day 1, where our true comfort is, uh, comes and then Lord's Day 23, which is the definition of justification. And that's where we are, Lord's Day 23, in the back of our songbooks. That's found on page 881. Let's read t- together question and answer 59 and 60. I'll read the question. Let's respond with the answer together. That's page 881, question and answer 59. But how does it help you now that you believe all this? that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. And then here we have the definition of justification. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil. Nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. If only I accept this gift, 
with a believing heart. And as far as reading in the Catechism, we pray for the blessing of our God upon the preaching of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we return to our consideration of the Catechism uh, this morning, we start with this very important question, and I ask it to every one of you individually. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? Is everything good between you and God? If you were to ask this question to everyone who walks on the street to your neighbor, are you right with God? Is everything good between you and God? Their answer would probably be something like this. Yeah, everything's good. God and I have come to some sort of an agreement. I'll do my part. God will do his part. As long as I try my hardest, as long as I avoid doing something really bad, really nasty, God is going to accept me. Everything is good. Don't worry about it. Their response will be, don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm good with God. Are they really? Where do they base this self-asserted confidence? Where do they base that on? What, what proof do they have? Are they really right with God? Our question and answers this morning bring before us the subject of justification And the doctrine of justification is really answering the question, are you right with God? Is everything good? Does God view you? Does he look at you in such a way that you know that you are in a good relationship with him? Imagine for a moment that there is an individual here living in Linwood who has a warrant out for his arrest. This particular individual has committed murder multiple times. If he is caught... Will he be good? Will everything go well with him in the court system? No, it's not good with him. That one who is a rebel, when he is caught, will be sent to jail. That particular illustration illustrates what it's like to be on the wrong side of the law. Are we on the wrong side of the law? I do not mean to ask is there a warrant out for your arrest? I ask, are you right? Are you on the right side of God's law? So today we come to the heart of what is called the heart of the Reformation, the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, justification. And as we look at Lord's Day 23, we have just concluded our series working through the Apostles' Creed. So Lord's Day 23 is kind of the the capstone, the bookend of the Apostles' Creed. And the first question and answer that we looked at was, what good does it do you to believe all this? Question and answer 59, why do you need to know, why do you need to confess, why do you need to believe what the Apostles' Creed teaches? And the answer is this, if you believe, if you confess, if you have embraced everything that the Apostles' Creed teaches, then you are in a saving relationship with God. You are right with God. By faith, you are righteous, accepted, and heir to life everlasting. What is the benefit of knowing, believing, and embracing the doctrine contained in the Apostles' Creed? And you are righteous. You are standing in a right relationship with God. So this morning, we are going to look at this theme, that Jesus Christ secures our righteousness with God by the shedding of of his blood. Jesus Christ secures our righteousness with God by the shedding of his blood. 
And at first point, then, we begin by looking at the need for justification. How you, I, your neighbors, we all, all humanity have this shared need. We need to be made right with God. We define justification as our being right with God. And the fact of the matter is, we are not by nature, not by nature, right with God. We are born in our sins, rebellious by nature, fallen dead in our trespasses and sin. Will God overlook our sins as our children remember the catechism? Will God simply overlook or ignore your sins? What's the answer, children? God is terribly angry, not only with the sins that you commit, but the sinful nature that you have inherited. God is terribly angry. Is everything good with humanity? No. God is terribly angry with humanity. But can we fix it? Can we mend this broken relationship by our works and by our actions? It's into this gaping hole of our need that the law comes. The law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, sets before us the standard. This is what God defines as good. Live this way and you will live a life that is pleasing, holy, and acceptable to God. So the law comes before us and and stands as a a golden standard of perfection. Can you do this? Do we live like this? What does our text say? Romans 3 verse 20. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We start in a position, you, I, all humanity, we start in a position by our sinful nature and by our actions, we are in a bad, a wrong relationship with God. God is terribly angry with our sins and our sinful nature. So then God gives us the law in all its perfection, and we look at the law, and we ask ourselves the question, can I get from where I am to where I need to be by obeying the law? Can I do it by myself? Can I work? Can I lift myself up by my bootstraps? Can I put in the hours, put in the effort to bring me from where I am to where I need to be so that God would be pleased, that God would accept me? What does the Bible say? No. You cannot. You will not. It is impossible. Because by the law comes knowledge of your sins. When I look at the law, when I compare myself to the law in all its perfection, the law becomes a mirror and I see myself more clearly. And instead of making myself feel better, the law says, you're worse than you think. You have fallen farther than you know. The law is like a a lamp, a light, shining upon the dark recesses of my heart. You think you can bring yourself from here to over there by doing what God's law says. The law shines upon you and it's worse than I thought. 
by the works of the law, no human being, not the best, not the most righteous, not the most holy person, the descendants of Adam cannot do what is necessary. The law reveals our need for justification without providing the basis for our justification. Obedience to the law is not a mechanism that mankind can pull. Not a lever that we can somehow activate in order to bring us from where we are to where we need to be. Brothers and sisters, this is a very, very important point for people who are born and raised in conservative circles. We look at ourselves. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. There's no arrest warrant out for me. I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. I, I've, I've done what I should do. I've lived a life. You know, I've avoided all the really nasty sins. I don't curse. I don't swear, at least not that often. When I'm angry, I usually do a pretty good job of suppressing my anger and keeping it all inside. I look at the law. Yeah, you know, I might fudge a little bit on it, but I, I'm not... By the works of the law, no one is righteous. Not one. Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So question and answer 60, when we're defining what justification is, the first thing that question and answer 60 does is this. Let's speak the truth about who we are. Let's be honest for a moment. Who are you? When you look at the law, what does the law say about Nick? What does the law say about you? It says this. Your conscience, it accuses you of having grievously sinned against not just some, not just one, all of God's commandments. And never having kept any of them. And still inclined towards all evil. Romans 7, verse 23, I see this in my flesh, or I see this in my members. There is a law that is waging war against my mind, a law that makes me captive to sin. Paul puts it like this, the good I want to do, I don't do. The very evil I'm seeking to avoid, that I find myself doing. So the first point is just simply to expose this truth. We need something. We're here. We need something to get us from where we are to where we need to be so that we would be in a good, pleasing, and acceptable relationship with God. But there is nothing that we can do to bring us from point A to point B. We need something that we can't provide. We are outside. We stand at the door and we knock. The only way the door opens is if someone on the inside opens the door for us. Our only hope, our only hope is found in someone who is already inside, who can open the door. Because by nature we are hostile towards God, and guess what? God is hostile towards you. Terribly angry. There is no basis, no ground for acceptance in your own works. Before we move into our second point then, there, there's um, a humbling truth to this, but there's also an evangelical 
truth to this. Because when I started in the introduction, remember I asked you, if you were to ask 100 individuals in your community, what answer would they give? If you asked them, are they right with God? They would 99.9% of the time say, yeah, everything's fine, it's good, you know, God and I have this relationship, we're in this agreement. I mean, if I don't do really bad things, God will be happy with me. The reason this is such an important truth is because people are blind. They suppr- they've suppressed the truth. They're ignorant of the position, the precarious position that they are in. That's why this is a, an evangelically motivating truth. People need to know this. Because if they don't come to see their own sin and depravity, they're rushing their way to heaven in ignorance. Because we all, all of us, need to be justified. We need peace with God. And it's not going to come by what you and I do. Well, now that we understand the nature of what's wrong with us, we push on by looking at how can... We, How can we move from point A to point B? How can we be made right with God? Since the convicted felon cannot change his status, he needs someone in authority to pardon him. So who can pardon us? How can a sinner be made right with a holy God? The answer is found in the work in the person of another. Unable to purchase our own justification, this change must be secured by the righteous works of someone who is more powerful and righteous and holy than we. The righteousness that we need, that we receive, is a righteousness that is foreign to us. It comes from the outside. Justification, that's what we define, this, this great truth, justification. It's the application of Jesus Christ. Look at what our answer says. Jesus Christ, righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness. What you and I cannot do is provided to us. It's a, a one-time event that changes our status, how we look in the presence of God. It's a double imputation. Double imputation simply means this. My sins taken from my account, placed on Christ's account, His righteousness, His holiness taken from His account and placed on my account. My sins to Him, His righteousness to me. Double imputation. This double imputation is expanded upon in question answer 60. Now in most of... If most of you memorized the definition of justification when you were younger, most of us memorized it's just as if I had never sinned. What is justification? Just as if I had never sinned. That is only the negative aspect, the negative part. It's two parts. Look again at the conclusion of question answer 60. Not only is it just as if I had never sinned, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient to me. That's the positive. That's the second part. So it's just as if I had never sinned nor ever been a sinner, but also just as if I had lived as perfectly obedient as Christ did. Two parts. 
And that's really where the essence of the good news is found. This is the good news of justification. We receive a new name, a new status, a new identity, a new family. We knock on the door and the door opens and we're welcomed in. The convicted felon becomes pardoned. His guilty record removed, wiped clean. But more than that, he's given the record of someone who is a perfect law-abiding citizen who's never done anything wrong. Now there are two more brief important aspects to this justification that we have to consider. Justification is a gracious work of God. This gracious aspect is clearly presented in Romans 3, verse 24. We read this earlier. We are justified by his grace as a gift. In case you missed it, you are justified as a gift to emphasize the point as grace. It is a gracious gift. Undeserved. We don't merit. Pardon is not something that we can can work towards. It is graciously bestowed out of sheer grace. And the second part of this uh, justification that we have to consider is how do we get it? How do we have access to this thing called justification? Is it something that that happens kind of like a meteorite that falls uh, to the ground outside of us with no connection to us? How do we have, have access to the works of Jesus Christ? Well, as we read in Philippians 3 verse 9, we have righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Or Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Romans 3.28, justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So how do we have access to this? The way in which we have access to the righteousness of Jesus Christ is by being united to Christ by faith. Faith does not then become a, a merit. It's not a work of faith. Faith is the reception, it is the receiving with the open hand what Christ graciously gives it to us. So we don't earn it by our faith, we receive it by faith. We are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, now that we understand what justification is, what remains in our final point then is how do we respond to this gracious doctrine? As I said before, the doctrine of justification is one of the principal parts that sets apart a true church from a false church. Understanding and receiving what justification is, is is how we get our DNA as a Christian. There are no Christians apart from those who are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But how does that affect how does that change us? What is what is the the daily change that is a result of this? Well, our last point, we're going to have three if-then statements. Three if-then statements. Number one, if justification is not earned, then those who are justified will be humble when they receive it. If justification is not a work, it's not a merit, then those who receive it will be humble. And that's what Paul, the point Paul makes in Romans 3, verse 27. What happens to your boasting? How can we have pride in ourselves when justification is a gracious gift of God? Our boasting is excluded. 
There's no trusting, no, no pride in our ability. There's no room for self-congratulation. We are no better than anyone else. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The proper response is humility. We acknowledge our need, how desperate we are in Jesus Christ. Number two, the second if-then statement. If justification is a work of Jesus Christ, then we must place our faith in Christ to receive justification. If justification is a work of Christ alone, then it is that the response of faith that clings to Christ is the way in which we are justified. Then finally, number three, the third if-then statement. If justification is a gift of grace, then those who receive it will be grateful. If justification is a gift of grace, then those who receive it will be grateful, will be thankful. The criminal who has his record expunged, who is liberated from death row, who is pardoned and granted a new status, who is set free, is the one who will be thankful and grateful And that's why justification is is so important that we understand it. It moves us from a position of pride and and self-dependence, self-reliance to a place of of humility and gratitude. That's what it means to, to be a Christian saved by grace, justified by grace through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. To conclude, as a as a Christian in this life, we are both at the same time a saint and a sinner. We still struggle with our sins. We still commit daily sins. But we have been declared not guilty, pardoned, ransomed, reconciled, and received. How does God view you? How does God see you? Does he see you as a rebellious sinner who has hardened his heart? Or does he see you as a a child of God who's been pardoned, who's been liberated, declared righteous? by the works of Jesus Christ. The truth of justification is so important for us to understand and to embrace. And as we now come to the Lord's Supper, what we do here is a visible display of what takes place. Jesus Christ opens the door for us. He says, come, take, eat, remember and believe. We do not come to the Lord's table trusting in our own works. We do not go, "Ah, did pretty good this past week. I deserve to come. That is not the position of a Christian. A Christian is this past week, this week of self-examination. I saw how often I fell, how great I need the blood, the body of Jesus Christ. We come here with, with hearts of faith, trusting in Christ, that He provides what is need by His precious sacrifice on the cross. Listen again to Romans 5, verse 9. We have been justified by His blood. Jesus Christ is the host. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He provides it to us. He gives us the way of salvation.
As our theme states, Jesus Christ secures our righteousness with God by the shedding of his precious blood. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful reminder of the works of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his precious blood and the sufficiency of that one sacrifice for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. May we now respond with gratitude and thanksgiving as we rejoice, as we embrace these precious gifts secured for us by Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.